Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au. A couple of weeks ago, we started this series and um, we um, started with a, a um, verse from Proverbs 5, 5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And one of the key words in that um, in that verse is trust in the Lord with all of your heart is all. And I wonder this morning if we would look at our hearts and possibly think, you know what, do I actually trust God with all of my heart? I mean, are you like 20% trusting God, 50%, 70%, maybe 98%, 99%? I wonder if anyone would actually say, you know what, I'm trusting God with 100%. I would dare say that no one is at that place right now. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Because with our trust, we, we learn and we grow. But a big reason why we find it difficult so many times to trust in the Lord with all of our heart is because each and every one of us, we've been through things, haven't we? We've actually had to journey through some things. We got a little bit battered and bashed and damaged and sort of dented along the way. And we may look really nice and pretty for church on a Sunday, but truth be told, I'm a bit banged up and, you know, I've got a couple of dents here and there. And um, the thing is that, Sometimes when we go through life, we don't necessarily want to actually go back and actually talk about what happened. You know, I don't want to talk about what happened like back in 2008 when I was just like down and out. I don't want to go back there. Um, is anyone like going and like re- revisiting those, those moments of, no, no, we don't necessarily like doing that. But you know what? God doesn't mind doing that. He doesn't mind that at all. In fact, God will actually take us on a journey of revisiting some of those moments in our past in order so he can bring some healing and restoration through that. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at a very, um, very popular, very well-known encounter that God has with this prophet, and his name is Ezekiel. Ezekiel. It's found in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 3. Um, So we're going to read that, and we're just going to walk through this story a little bit. We're going to like sort of just sort of say, okay, God, what are you saying to Ezekiel and what implications or what is transferable for us here today in 2018? So from verse 1, Scripture says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Are most people quite familiar with this prophetic passage of scripture in the Bible? Most people aren't too familiar with the book of Ezekiel, but we're kind of familiar with this specific, because, you know, us Christians, we like to just go to our favorite bits. (laughs) But um, this this book is actually... um, quite weird if you actually read it from the beginning. I mean, it has all this symbolism that seems to like freak you out. I mean, you've got like these beings with four faces and they have like four wings and you have all these wheels that are moving in different places and all that. And then you have this guy and his name's Ezekiel and God asks him to do like random things like you need to lie on your side for 390 year days and then the other, on the other side for 40 days. And you know what, you need to cook up some lentils and you need to like use some like... Um, poo, you know? you got to like... <laughs> you know, it's like crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And 
Oh, for one, I'm, I'm really happy that God hasn't spoken to me like as he has to Ezekiel, because that would be kind of rude, uh, kind of weird. And, um, but this is a prophetic book. This is a prophecy. And because it is prophecy, it is something that God is speaking directly into the contemporary situation that Ezekiel finds himself in, in that day, in that place, thousands of years ago. But because it is prophetic, Prophetic has waves, it has rhythms. It's almost like because it's prophetic, not only does it speak into the contemporary situation, it actually speaks forth into salvation history as well. In all of its peaks and all of its troughs and all of its twists and all of its turns, as we together as the body of Christ journey towards the final consummation where God's kingdom reign will be fully consummated, it actually speaks into that. So in that regard, it is speaking to that day and to that age, but also brings some wisdom to us today. It actually brings some information to us today. And in particular, it gives us um, some descriptions and some information about how God's power is present right here, right now, to restore things that have died. And I've got a big thought for us today. And it's a very simple thought, but it's a profound thought. And it's simply this. Whatever it is in your life, it's not too dead. It's not too dead. You may think that sucker's dead. You may think that thing's gone. You may think that dream has been snuffed out. But I need to tell you, not from my perspective, but from the perspective of Holy Scripture, that it's not too dead for God. It's not too dead, it's not too dead for Him. In fact, the book of Ezekiel tells us that nothing is too dead for God to bring back to life. Nothing is too dead for God to restore. Nothing is too dead for God to redeem. Nothing is too dead for God to upgrade. Sometimes we look at the things in the past and we say, man, that was like, if that was the best... Oh my goodness, I just lost the best of my life. And yet we don't understand that God's not interested in giving you what you once had. He's interested in actually upgrading and moving you forward. He is. God's power to restore is wrapped up in his nature. And one couple of things that we need to know about this. The first thing is, when it comes to God's power to restore, to redeem, to bring things back from the dead in your life, in my life, in our hearts... We need to understand first and foremost, if we're willing to actually go through this journey, allow God to do some open-heart surgery, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. We need to understand that. And we live in a very interesting society where everything is about me. But we need to understand that everything of a godly, uh, of the godly perspective, of a, of a salvific nature, it's about you, but it goes beyond you. As well, You see, Scripture is relentless in actually telling God's people to stop looking in the mirror. It's almost like that mythical character, Narcissus, who was just so fixated. He looked at himself in a reflection in the water, and he was just so enchanted with himself and so in love with himself and so fixated on himself, and he couldn't move from seeing himself. And because of that, he was rendered useless and impotent, and, and he couldn't actually help or do anything else. And sometimes we get a little bit fixated on ourselves, but the story of salvation, the story of God will actually tell us over and over and over and over and over again that this story is about you, but it's not just about you. In fact, the very first Great Commission, I don't know if you know the very first Great Commission, is not found in Matthew. The very first Great Commission is found in the book of Genesis, where God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave your country and I want you to go, and this is the reason why, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, Abraham, it is about you, but it's not just about you because the rest of the nations are going to be blessed through you. It's not just about you. It is about you, but not just about you. 
there's something of God and his power that needs to go through us, but actually go reach, extend beyond us. Jesus, he's speaking to Israel and he says this, you're the light of the world. Have you ever thought to ask yourself, why is Jesus telling Israel, you're the light of the world? It's because they weren't acting as the light of the world. He's not coming up and he's not, he's not coming to them and sort of saying, they're there, you know, you know. You know, things are really bad right now. And, you know, the Romans, they're like kicking your guts. And, you know, you're under oppression. But they're there. You know, you're the light of the world. You're not doing that. He's saying, you're supposed to be doing something that you're not doing right now. You're supposed to be a light in the hill. You're here to hiding yourself. He's actually telling them, come on, let's get on with it. He's recorrecting. He's actually saying what God has said from the very beginning. It's about you, but it's not just about you. And um, there's something that we need to understand that God's power to restore, to redeem, and to bring things to life in our hearts and in our lives, in our families, in our communities. The beautiful thing is, yes, it is about us, but it's not just about us. So if God is doing something new in this church, if God is restoring things that have been dead in this church, if God is taking us to new places in this church, well, praise God, it is about us, but it's not just about us. You may be asking, why are we going to two services? Why are we looking at doing stuff in Joel Street? Why are we looking at uh, having presents, like working with schools and all that? Because it's about us, but it's not just about us. It's not just about us. And that's what happens here. So I want to look at this thing. I want to look at how God's power seems to work. Because I want to know that. Because I've got some things in my heart in the past. And man, it feels like they had just been buried six foot under. Yet if God's promise, if God's prophecy, if God's word is true, well, then maybe the things that I thought were dead in my life, maybe they aren't dead enough. And maybe God wants to raise them up. So we're going to look at this. The first thing that um, God starts talking to Ezekiel about is this idea of acknowledging responsibility. Now, this is kind of like the, oh, responsibility, really? I don't want to take responsibility for anything. The book of Ezekiel happens when Israel is in exile. They are actually under the thumb of the Babylonians. And um, they've gotten themselves in this situation. um, And God, before he starts talking about how he's going to redeem, restore, and bring back to life, he actually lets Ezekiel know the reason why his people are in this situation. He actually says, who's at fault? So from verse 3, he says, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people um, to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say this to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning and you'd be honest enough to say, you know what, there is some stuff that's happened in my life. I sort of got like dented and damaged along the way. And, and uh, you know what, truth be, if I'm really honest, I may have hurt some people along the way as well. But you know what, I'm only actually honest enough to say, you know what, I had a part to play in that. Is anyone honest enough to say that? I actually had a part to play in that. See, that's actually... Um, the, the, the very beginning of this journey that God's taking Ezekiel on. So, so you know, I, I, I played a part, you know, I did stuff. And we live in a world that's kind of really happy to divert um, acknowledgement or responsibility. 
We've got three young guys in our nation, and, and um, they've got high profile. They're elite athletes. They get paid very, 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 very well for hitting a ball around a park, and they decide to cheat, right? So they front up, and they take responsibility. Fantastic. Awesome. You know, the nation. They endear the heart of the nation once again. What happens next? Well, everyone's saying, you know what? It's not actually their fault. It's the culture of the team. It's the hierarchy. We, as a nation, are very happy to actually divert responsibility. We've got these three young men in this pivotal moment of their life that will actually define them for the rest of their life and actually make them stronger. And yet we, as a nation, want to say, you know what? It wasn't their fault. It was, it was their fault, but it wasn't their fault. See, we live in a world that doesn't really want to take personal responsibility. Truth be told. And God's saying, first and foremost, you need to take some responsibility. You need to understand that there's a reason why we're in this situation. There's a reason why we're in this predicament. I need to stand before God and stand before people, stand before my wife, and, and sort of say, you know what, I've done some things wrong. I haven't really hit the mark in all the things I wanted to hit the mark in, and, and I've fallen short in a lot of ways. And, and yes, I've got damage, and I may have damaged some other people, and you know, I'm really sorry I take responsibility for that. So in this particular passage of human history, sin has gone Israel into their current mess. It's God's power that's going to get them out of the mess. But while they're in the mess, it is God's grace that speaks hope to them while they're in the mess. And that's the first thing. And what I find interesting is, it's not necessarily the actions of Israel that God's kind of saying, I've got a bit of an issue with that. It's the attitude. This is what he says, verse 4, the people whom I'm sending into, they're obstinate and they're stubborn. They're stubborn. <laughs> Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You know, God's calling them out. He's calling them out. And um, he's saying, like, regardless if they listen or not, I just want you to tell them this. As far as, like, God is concerned, um, you're rebellious, you're stubborn. And um, that, that's kind of the starting point. So that's the first thing, taking responsibility. Now, the process of which God will actually bring things back to life. I find this very uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 3 again. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out, by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you only know. The uncomfortable bit about God is that God takes Ezekiel to the place of death. Have you ever had something in your life and say, I'm never going to go back there again? Never. Until you encounter God and he, he doesn't just take him there. Understand, he says this, he sets him in the middle, right? Can you imagine that? Like, like I, might, I might go and stand on the fringe, you know? It all happened over there. I'm, this is as far as I'm going, God. You know, this is as far as I'm willing to go. And God says, uh -uh. God didn't even give Ezekiel a choice. He actually takes him and sets him in the middle. And you need to understand, Ezekiel's a prophet. He's not supposed to be anywhere near. He's not supposed to be touching 
dead things or anything like that. And this is a really interesting place because I don't know if you've thought about it. These are bodies that have been so disintegrated that the bones are just lying around. This is a place of death, but more poignantly, this is a place of disrespect and disregard. It's a place of disrespect and disregard. Because in antiquity, the most disrespectful thing you could possibly do is to not bury the dead. These bodies have not been buried. Even today, you know, regardless of the life that you live, we will at least bury you. We will actually, like, do that. We may not even know who you are. Your identity may be completely erased, but we will at least bury you. And this is this valley that is full of these bodies that have not been buried. It's a place of disrespect. It's a place of disregard. I wonder in our hearts if that is the place of death, that something happened, a situation occurred, and you know what, it was just, that was just that's disrespect. That happened to me and no one respected it. That happened to me and no one gave any regard. That happened to me and no one cared. And I was sit there by myself. This is a moment, this is a place that is disrespectful, disregard, and I don't want to go there ever again, God. I'm not going to talk to you about it. I'm going to just push it right down. And then God comes because he can do whatever he wants and he picks us up and he sets us in the middle of a place of disrespect and disregard. My goodness. <laughs> My goodness. It's more than that, though. Because Ezekiel mentions that it's a place of bones. But then he goes a little bit deeper. And he says, it's a place of dry bones. Dry bones. Dry bones. I wonder why God shows Ezekiel this vision, takes him to this place, not just of bones, but makes this point to say this is a place, not just of bones, it's a place of dry bones. Dry bones. The bones aren't just dead, but they're actually dry. They're actually dry. You know, any observer of that contemporary world, and if you were looking at the situation of Israel at that time, right then, you would have normally, I would suggest, and expectedly sort of said, you know what, Israel, they're in need of physical deliverance. They've been held captive. They've been held against their will. They're slaves. Who knows what the Babylonians are doing to them? They need to be physically delivered. They need to be taken back to their place and given a home and all that. Yet Ezekiel is given a vision that goes beyond just the obvious mere physical. And it actually goes to something that's a bit more spiritual. And he actually shows Ezekiel, yeah, the bones are dead. But don't miss this point. They're actually also dry. And that dryness speaks of a spiritual nature. Yeah, they're dead, but it's dry. So this is what God is saying. You may look at the situation and you may think, oh, they're in need of this physical need or it's this certain thing that you've perceived that that's what's been lost, that's what's actually died. And God's actually going a little bit deeper and saying, it's actually not a physical deliverance they need. They need a spiritual awakening. That's the issue at hand right now. Things have happened. They're in the situation and it actually is their fault, but I'm going to take them out. But you need to understand that it's not just a physical deliverance they need. They need something of a spiritual nature happening right here. And the reason why Israel couldn't see it, the reason why Ezekiel couldn't see it is because we are humans and we tend to see things in a specific way. Remember the story of, of Samuel coming and anointing David, right? Right? Brings Eliab up and he says, surely this is the one. 
And God says, no, 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 he's not the one. (laughs) People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, we look at the outward all the time, and God's looking beyond the physical appearance. He's looking beyond the art. He's looking beyond the obvious, and he's actually going deeper to actually pinpoint and locate the real issue. The issue Israel had at the moment is not that you're captive, is that you're spiritually dead. You're dry. Dry bones. Dry bones. Isn't it amazing that God, our master surgeon, he has this ability to look beyond what looks obvious, to look beyond what other people may see and actually get to the issue at hand. You remember the story when Solomon's got this great palace and everything's going great and the Queen of Sheba comes, you know? Queen of Sheba comes and, and Queen of Sheba's like comes in and's heard of his wisdom and, and, and all that. It's, and it's First Kings 10 and, and, and they're thinking, oh, wow, this is an amazing place. Surely this is the house of the Lord. Looking at everything physical, looking at all the servants, looking at, at all the prosperity and everything and saying, surely, surely God is with you, you know? First Kings chapter 11 starts with, King Solomon, however, had many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ananites, Edenites, Sidonites, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts. Solomon's in this place, Queen of Sheba rocks up and says, surely God's with you. Look at all this. It's contrasted with what God sees. And God says, you're actually being disobedient right now. Isn't it amazing? We can make such evaluations of what we see from a physical, yet God looks at the heart. And other people may be applauding us and God's actually saying, you're actually in disobedience to what I've actually asked you to do. Got to be careful with that stuff. See, that's why God is the master surgeon, because he has his ability to see beyond the physical and actually get down to what the issue of the heart is. So God, he will actually ask us and set us back into the place of death in order to show us our deep and desperate need of spiritual awakening. And the great thing about spiritual awakening is that in one moment, if we're willing to enter, God can soak us. In one moment, dryness can be flooded with the presence of God. In one moment. In one moment. In one posture. In one posture. You may have lived all your life, even as a Christian, with a posture like this. I dare you at some stage to kneel. I tell you, there's something about the posture of kneeling that it will actually cause God to go, because there's something about the posture in life that we take that enables us to enter in. And that's the beautiful thing about a spiritual awakening. It can happen in a moment. Second thing, God takes him to his place of death. Second thing, he brings about this restoration from the inside out. From the inside out. From verse 5, this is what the sovereign Lord says to, Lord says to these bones. I will make... Um, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover with you, you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. It's really important to understand that when God starts working, when God starts doing, if we're willing to say, okay, God, I need you to bring some things to life that I thought were dead, God's going to start from the inside and outside. And it's really important for us to understand because we as humans, we look at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart we are more comfortable with God sort of 
sort of coming and saying, oh, no, God, I just need you to work from the outside in, all right? Outside in. I know this place is dead, this relationship is dead, and all the stuff is dead. I just need you to do some stuff that I can see from a physical appearance, and then you can start working on my heart. And God says, that's not the way I work. I'm going to start from the inside, and that breath is going to work its way to the outside. He starts with tendons. He starts putting tendons together. He starts doing that. He starts doing that. He restores from the inside out. And the last thing about how he restores, I'm going to call the band up, how he restores, how he restores, how he restores. God wants to restore. God wants to bring things to life. There are things in our life that we thought were dead and that we thought they were buried. We got seemingly hijacked along the way. We got hurt along the way. We grew up with young dreams and visions and it got snuffed out along the way. But God wants to bring those dreams, those visions, those, those, those things back to life. And how he does it is found in verse 4. In one simple verse. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is how it always happens. Dry bones. Hear the word of Dave Ryder. No, no, no. Dry bones. Hear the word of the latest policy and procedure that's out there. The latest legislation. No, no, dry bones. Hear the word of this report I just got from the doctor. God has always worked this way. He's worked this way. Genesis, Holy Spirit's hovering, waiting for a word to create, to bring something out of nothing. It's always been this way. Ezekiel 37, bones are dry, bones are dead. Son of man, prophesy to these bones and say to these bones, the word of God, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Don't tell these bones your opinion that's wrapped up in your emotion. Get the word of life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. And there is enough power in the Word of God to bring anything back to life. Anything. 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 Why don't you just close your eyes and allow God to speak as I just read out the rest of this moment that Ezekiel has with his God. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, 
This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesy as He commanded. And breath entered them. They came to life. They stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and going to bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I've done it, declares the Lord. I wonder if you've got anything that's dead in your life right now. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Let's do some business with God before we close this service. I wonder if there's some things in your past and you reckon, you know what, that's dead, that's buried. Maybe some, some amazing, outstanding failures that you have done. They are so big. They are like incredible failures. Maybe you've had some real, real, real tragedies that have happened. And because of these things, I trust in the Lord with 70% of my heart. And yet God will say, that's not enough. God will say, I'm gonna, I, I, God will say this, is what I'm, this is what I'm willing to settle with. All of your heart. That's what I'm willing to settle with. All of it. And in order for us to get to that place, God will say, well, we need to do some open heart surgery. And you just need to know that I'm going to take you and I'm going to set you in the middle of bones that are dry to let you know that the thing that happened to you is not actually the issue. The issue is that you need a spiritual awakening. And in any given moment, I will come and I will pour my spirit upon you. I will do in your heart and in your life what you have never thought fathomable. And then you will know that I've spoken. Isn't it amazing that he says, after all these things happen, then you're going to know. 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 Father, I lift up every heart in this auditorium this morning from the youngest to the oldest. I lift up every hurt, every disappointment. I lift up every failure. I lift up every dent, every bang, every, everything that's just hurt us, God. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. We come before you as our master surgeon. We come before you and you, we ask that you will come and that you will set us in those places. We ask that you will come and you will bring your word. We ask that you will come and you will do what we cannot do, God. We present our hearts before you and we ask that you will come and you would heal, that you would restore, that you would redeem, that you would bring back to life those things that we thought was dead. But we would understand this day on the 8th of April, 2018, that there is not anything that is too dead for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.